This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. This is another episode brought to you by Remote Recording, but we don't plan to be in remote recording much longer. Although I've learned in the podcasting business, you shouldn't make a lot of promises (laughs) that you can't keep. (laughs) Planning, not really necessarily part of our our life experience. Um, I'm just going to say up front, we're returning to something today we haven't done in a long time. Um, Being meek and mild and submissive. That's going to be... No, I'm kidding. That's all a lie. We are returning to something... I've never done that. I'm not returning to that. I I don't recall doing that. I I heard you've done some submissive things occasionally, rarely in your life. But um, anyway, that's another podcast. That's another theme, if you I don't think that's a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We are returning to an old segment that we used to do. It's not a segment. It's really a, a theme, if you will, an episode theme called What's Science, which means it's time to play... No, it's not time to play. We'll play it when we start talking about the episode we're going to talk about today. We'll play the theme song that we have on deck. Um, But um, we have watched, to our great dismay, I shouldn't say this, to my dismay, the special, which Eric put in air quotes last week when we teased it, called The Curse of the Highgate Vampire. Now, this special is available for you on Discovery+. Plus which we should be receiving some sort of advertising money from because we talk about them every week, but they have literally everything we want to talk about on their platform. Um, and it's not a part of a larger series. And so if you want to pause this podcast and go get some extra credit, you can go watch it now. However, standard or, disclaimer. Or you or, can actually go and listen to episode 39 of this particular show, uh, What Science Episode 2, when Christopher did The Mysteries of Giants from Forbidden History, and I did from a series, I think the series was called Bloodlust, I did uh-huh. um, Real Vampires, and Real this vampire. was the Highgate Vampire was also part of that story. And But let um, me ask you. I tried to warn Christopher when he picked this um, story. I was like, you know, I've actually done this before. And he was like, well, I use my vampires. I, don't know. I, was like, I have okay. a different, I don't have that recollection. What I remember was hearing delight in your voice over the fact that you were going to get to talk about something you had previously skewered a second time because you are a good repeat skewerer. If you will, well, you like to return to certain topics. I think and, this uh, is a pretty tender subject. Yeah, I think we can slice <laughs> this one up. It's pretty easy no, to poke holes in this one. I had no memory of you talking about this previously. I do remember the episode you're talking about. What was it? 39 of our podcast is when we did yes. Giants and Vampires. I yes, went and absolutely. looked it up. 
Can it I was say What something? Science, Volume 2. Can I say something? I just want to say I always feel the need to say this because it's like we have a lot of Anne Rice fans, beloved people among our listeners, our party people. We are not here to shit on anybody who proposes that there are paranormal events in the universe. There are paranormal events that we believe in, that we believe we have actually been a part of. Oh, my However, God, yes. Paranormal television, paranormal reality television is in a state of crisis. That's how I'm going to describe this issue. It's in a state of crisis. It has very little credibility. It's throwing anyone who will say anything on camera. And everything that I don't like about it is present in this episode of television. <laughs> Starting yes, with. Yes, I mean, add to the power of three. Um, but this... This was obviously the Curse of the Highgate Vampire was a story that you covered previously well, on that episode. It was part of that story. That story was right. about looking at different examples of real vampires. Um, uh huh. Right. All of which were about how it wasn't real vampires. It was terrible. Um, yeah. Okay. It was just yeah. It was less. This was this really digs in deep and well. When we get around to talking about the actual episode, and perhaps we should, um, right? We'll, we'll Let's see do how. Because usually, when we really both hate something, we have more to say about it. Because that's the t- oh, you know what I saw advertised on social media today on Instagram no. today. This I had to share this with you, and I may buy one. There are all these journals out there, right? Like productivity journals, inspiration journals, wellness journals, and they all have prompts in them. Like today, my healthy focus will be, and then it has a square in which you write three healthy focuses or focusi, whatever. Foci, <laughs> foci. <laughs> This was called the Grievance Journal, <laughs> and it was all negative focus. And it had like pages where the writing prompt was <laughs> the one thing that's really popular that I don't think should be is go. <laughs> and it was black and it had skulls on it, and it looked like a great Christmas gift for Eric Shaw Quinn. So we'll that see. That seems really, yeah, potentially <laughs> funny, but it also seems like too angry. <laughs> it's like I've never been a big fan of stand-up comedy because most stand-up comedians just seem really angry to me and that doesn't mm. that isn't funny. Right. Yeah. And but you're not ever angry, right? That's not a thing that happens. I did not comedy. say that. I guess what I'm saying is uh we're all full up on angry here. We don't need any more. <laughs> Thank you. Please don't deliver more angry to this address. We have reached threshold. Right. We have we reached, have reached our target threshold. anger level and uh, <laughs> do not want to. Now, I just like the, I find what I find funny is almost like making fun of yourself is the leading, I think, cause of funny. Um, mm-hmm. And then <laughs> and then seeing the humor in situations as they roll past. Right. Um, crack me up. But being upset that something goes a certain way mm-hmm. like that the world doesn't work the way it's almost that conversation we were having last time about enjoying the life you're actually having yes it's kind of the same thing finding humor in the life you're actually having as opposed to being upset that it's not a different life mm-hmm. absolutely There are moments, and I think we talk about this too, there are moments where you can accept something about your life that you don't fundamentally like 
and you can say, okay, I'm going to actually take some proactive steps to change this. Like I don't, I'm going to go to the gym is one example, or right. I'm going to actually devote some time and effort in this one area of my life that I've been neglecting. I don't know why I said the gym. I hate that I always go there first, but you know what I mean? It's like, I, this room is messy. I'm going to try to become more organized. I think what, 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 um, what I hear you saying and what I agree with is everybody when they're pissed off can become self-righteously convinced that they are absolutely right about the way the world should be and the way the world should work, you know, and, and there should be less traffic on the road so that I can get somewhere on time. And as you always point out, or if you've encountered this you traffic before, early. you could leave earlier. Yeah. If this is a traffic pattern you keep finding yourself in, Leave five minutes earlier and stop bitching. But I, why do that when you can bitch? Because anger is a rush for a lot of people. It's a, it's a, it's a adrenaline rush. People get addicted. I know I've had my moments of being addicted to it. Right, but believing know. everybody else is wrong or that the world is wrong is not a very yeah. productive way to, to go. And like, if you don't believe something, like that's okay. But respecting what other people believe or like is also important to I just think to having a happier and more real uh, self-actualized life I I think I we're completely at agree. a place in time where we're we've almost ground our country to a halt because we're pretty evenly divided um, mm -hmm. and both sides believe that they are absolutely right and so the solution is not to do anything unless they the other side just completely capitulates because I can't compromise with you because you're absolutely wrong and it's like that's not very productive do you like think I just I'm not absolutely wrong I just don't believe the same thing you believe and we still need to get stuff done so we need right, to work yeah. on getting stuff done not on eliminating the opposition uh, right do you think there's a there's a delineate or distinction if you will between I think I'm absolutely right, and the fear that if I give you an inch on the other side, you will take absolutely everything I have and everything I want. Because that's how people argue now on social media. If I agree, if a politician in my camp does something that's genuinely wrong, I can't admit it, and I have to defend them, and I have to cover up for them, because I can't afford to sacrifice anyone. Like, that's how, that's how sort of emphatic it seems. You know, I don't know if there's a difference or not, and if it's the same belief that's well, undergirding. I think it. what we're looking at is um, ignorance, because yeah. what that actually says is, I don't know anything about politics or the history of this country, because if I did, mm -hmm. I would know that there have been millions of examples of people admitting that somebody was wrong and then yeah. going on to be successful. Or, you know what I mean? Like, it just mm -hmm. shows that they don't know anything about their jobs. It's mm -hmm. the amateur politi politicians, I guess, the, the, the outgrowth of, like, that movement to um, term limits, as though the idea of having people with no experience would improve the quality of government and that people staying and learning how to do their jobs for a long period of time is a bad thing. Well, right. I think we've moved into this area of the conversation where everybody uh, equates experience with corruption. And the older you get, the harder it is to listen to people say that to you, that everybody who's been around for a long time is spoiled or corrupt or the system has gotten to them. And it just starts to sound like people who are younger and don't really have a lot of resume or experience trying to horn in and, and knock you off your pedestal. 
and take a position. The thing we were talking about this the other day. Um, the the there's been a couple analytical articles, editorials that I've read, written about what it used to mean and what it used to require of freshman politicians to build political capital that they used to have to enter office, build relationships, get reelected, sort of ascend, actually learn how government works. Now all you need is Twitter. You get a lot of Twitter followers and suddenly you're this force to be reckoned with and it's how you get everybody from AOC to Marjorie Taylor Greene. And you have these huge fights happening on Twitter that aren't resulting in any policy at all. Right. Oh my God, how did we get off on this? We're supposed to be talking about the Highgate vampire. I think it's because everybody well, in the Highgate we vampire is wrong about, about everything. Yeah. Being upset. We were talking about angry comedians. Yes. That angry was actually comedians, how we right. began. It's about, I think that believing the, everybody else is wrong is not a very healthy choice in the world. Like the fact that people believe different stuff than you is the way the world actually works. And if yeah, you're not absolutely. okay with that, then you're really in trouble because that's how it's going to be. And the, the best way to try to overpower the other side and to win an argument is to take your argument to its most existential and apocalyptic extreme. That if you don't agree with me, you are in favor of fill in the blank, the murder of the next generation's children, the obliteration of the planet, well, unchecked COVID infections. But like that's, But yeah. again, that's ignorance because that's not actually a valid argument. That's ad hominem right. or ad, you know, whatever. That's a fallacious argument. You know, what it really is, is, okay, you believe this and I believe that, but we need to accomplish this thing. So how can we accomplish this thing together while still trying to respect each other's beliefs as much as mm -hmm. we possibly can? That's what's yes. no longer a part of discourse. And that's the thing that's missing. That's the thing that I'm saying is ignorance because there is long history of people actually doing that for many years in American politics and in the last 30 or so, we have moved to this place of, you know, self-assured um, self-destruction mm -hmm. <laughs> where both sides have got their finger on the button of destroying the other side and have completely lost sight of the fact that they actually have a job that they're supposed to be doing and they're not. They choose mm -hmm. obstructionism or um, uh, being uh, in, inflexible about what they believe, and and they it's the belief that somehow compromise is capitulation or an admission that you're wrong or somehow mm -hmm. a negative thing. But compromise is actually the only way that democracy works. Mm -hmm. If we don't have compromise, democracy cannot work. Right. Because Absolutely. everybody, the thing that democracy recognizes that makes it such a brilliant and strong system is that everybody has a different belief. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. no two people have this. Expecting everybody to believe the same thing is, I don't know, an autocracy. Everybody believes what the good, what the dear leader believes. And that's, mm -hmm. and so we're going to move forward that way. Well, that's not a democracy anymore. That's an autocracy and, and, and the thing a dictatorship. Produced, the thing that's produced by this ignorance as you're describing it or this cycle of ignorance is that gridlock results, people start to lose faith, faith in the ability of democratic government to get anything done because it's producing gridlock and that is when some of them fall prey to a dictator who says, I'm going to destroy everything to get it done, which some people argue, I think quite effectively, was the tone of a lot of Donald Trump's madness, right? I mean, the well, drain the I swamp, also think all it this was crap. The, it was also the tone of Bernie Sanders' campaign. You know, like, yeah. 
everybody is doing it and it's not it doesn't it's not a sound argument for anybody right. to make mm-hmm. and you have to be aware of it no matter what side it's coming from and when we come back we will decide how much respect we should have for the views of those interviewed in Curse of the Highgate Vampire. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences, the page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. for another edition of What Science? Oh, dear. We've been talking about respect for lunatics. and I Well, think that's, that's 15 minutes that's... we're not getting back. <laughs> that's <something>. <laughs> <laughs> but that's something that's very much in play with the curse of the Highgate vampire because, oh, my God. Well, I well, mean, so... Okay, do you want to start or you want to, I mean, I I took notes, but it's like, what I'm the gonna fuck I'm going to say, on? yeah, I think we'll do your notes, <laughs> but my big takeaway from this yes, is I wish they had done the story of the argument between the two people that you're now going yes. to talk about. That was the story. Yes. And instead they did, did you see that? <laughs> did you, you see that? You said, you said, as we were picking this out, you said, okay, I don't like to do a lot of these paranormal shows because most of them are these stupid ghost hunter shows that are just people in night vision cameras pretending like a strange noise or whatever. It's like, like you just did. Did you see that? Is that? So this turned into a, a hybrid lunatic interviews that's, and Just because show. it wasn't bad enough, those, that's included too. It's like a collection, yeah. as you said, of everything we hate about paranormal television shows right now. Yeah. Right. And I, okay, so that's, and that's kind of how we opened, right? We opened with these title cards that basically introduced us to Highgate Cemetery, which is a real place in, were we in London? We were in London, right? You lived in London. You know London better than I do. I don't know Highgate Cemetery, but yes, this is more or less London. This is the greater London area. 
Highgate Cemetery has been the resting place for London's elite since 1839, we're told through a title card. Uh, since it, it, we're told the date of the filming. Which elite person that is, but we are told that, yes. The 2nd of January, 2020. Uh, we are told that the, since the 1970s, paranormal investigations have been banned here. But on this day, in January 2020, a team of amateur investigators have defied the ban. The team paid for a tour, and then they snuck off with, wait for it, handheld cameras. And suddenly, we're in a ghost show with Alex, a paranormal YouTuber who doesn't want to use his last name, apparently, despite having a YouTube channel and being on this television show. And um, he has some a companion... And the, a woman is with him who is never named in any intelligible way. They don't show a title card. She is apparently psychic, which involves her being dizzy almost the entire time. She complains of being dizzy and right. experiencing things and feeling things. And they um, lace throughout this. We start to see old interview footage of a man who looks like someone you would avoid if he came walking towards you on a street corner, but he's being interviewed and semi-professional lighting and he explains to us that in the 20 on the 21st of December 1969 quote now we discovered a group of practicing satanists and they were conducting rituals of some sort inside the cemetery that were intended to manifest an entity that would stay in the physical realm and as a result of this because they didn't Empire, know how to send it back isn't that the plot of yes. tentacles in the grocery store no, no. The mist is that the military opens up a portal to another dimension that they don't know how to close and it overtakes the town or something. Right. Like they that. open something yeah. that they don't know how to close. Exactly. So um, uh, we're told that most of what we're seeing are previously unseen tapes. Our ghost hunting YouTubers are walking through the shadowy cemetery. It's motion sickness inducing camera footage. Um, we're introduced to an expert, Vanessa Wolf, who is depicted in a library because she researches stuff. She's wearing blue and sitting by a desktop computer to let us know she is a serious person. They also um, feature the librarian staring at her because apparently he's asked her three or four <laughs> times to be quiet and she's continuing to conduct a television interview in the fucking library. <laughs> um, so, okay, so... Then we, I, this this has, because there's so little actually interesting that happens in this, the timeline of it just sort of jumps all over the place because it's sort of trying to desperately hold our well, attention. It's the historical timeline that's ultimately the, the thing. But the problem with the story is absolutely nothing verifiable, substantial, or in any other way um, supportive of the notion that there is a vampire in Highgate Cemetery has ever happened. Right. So, but this is how they start. The YouTubers do their thing. They go to this mausoleum and allegedly they claim there is a rush of energy behind one of them, which we see, which did not look authentic or verifiable to me. It looked very fake. And since he was and saying, is something behind me? Is something behind me? Is something behind me? And then, what do you know? Something appears behind him for like a split second and then is gone. And it looks like one of them, you know, uh, crossfading to a, a, a shot of themselves with their sweater pulled over their head. And then mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. gone. And so the question then becomes, is this 
entity that they claim to that whiz past them, was it summoned by these Satanists in the early 60s, or is it the ghost of one of the two psychic um, detective paranormal researchers who were drawn to this cemetery well, by the tale of the Highgate Vampire? Well, it could only be one of them because the other one isn't dead. Oh, I thought the other one was dead. <laughs> Sean's not dead yet. <laughs> John's not dead yet. Okay, we'll get to that. But David All is right. dead, and so they thought maybe it was David. So Vanessa Wolf, who we saw in the library dressed in blue, uh, she did her research into Highgate Cemetery some time ago, and she discovered a letter that was written to the local paper on the 6th of February, 1970, from a 24-year-old tobacconist named David Ferrant. Remember that name. It will be important as we continue. Also remember tobacconist and think what other things you might smoke it. in the 1970s <laughs> that David might be involved in selling and or smoking. He was a married father of two who claimed on three occasions that he had seen a ghost-like figure inside the gates of the cemetery. Back to the talking heads, we are introduced to Andrew Goff, a paranormal researcher who we have seen many times before on What Science because he is usually describing things seen from space on that show we did several episodes of What, what the, the Hell fuck is, is That? that? Or, <laughs> what the fuck was that? Yeah. Or can you zoom in, please? Um David Ferrant, he tells us, was a spiritualist who had expertise in the occult. And he connected with Andrew Gao, who's being introduced, or Andrew Goff, however you pronounce it, who uh, is being interviewed in the present, because Andrew was researching something called the Magnificent Seven, which is a group of Victorian cemeteries throughout London that includes Highgate. So after that tantalizing bit is dropped, we're back to the YouTubers, and they're claiming that an aspect of the experience that they videotaped when something rushed past them was that they heard somebody say a name, and wouldn't you know it, the name was David. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, I think the dun. reason they keep asking Andrew Goff to do these interviews is that he has a way of talking to you as though he's at the end of a really long um, explanation of something that he has made obviously true. By all of the things he said before you cut to him. Right. Yes, absolutely. So obviously, there must be a vampire in Highgate Cemetery. <laughs> and it's like, like wait, wait a minute. What? What? <laughs> what? Um, we interview uh, David Ferrant's son, Jamie Ferrant, and we are given no details for why Jamie's mother and David's wife left him abruptly right around the time he started claiming to see ghosts in Highgate Cemetery. But Jamie is interviewed and he says he didn't know his dad was into the occult when he was a kid. And um, he, he says he believed his dad genuinely believed that he saw something in that cemetery. And David's story, which is related to us by David, who did sat for this video interview that we started seeing clips of at the beginning. He says he was planning to climb over the main gate of the cemetery when he saw a tall figure, seven or eight feet tall, inside. And it was clad in a cloak with a hood. The face was either white or gray and the temperature around him dropped. So he wrote this out in a letter to the paper, and the letter starts to elicit responses from other people in the community who claim to have had similar experiences. He claims, David does, that the energy or the disturbances are emanating from something called the Corey Wright Mausoleum. And he claims that is where the Satanists were gathering to do black magic and to call forth previously dormant energy that they made come alive by their activities. That's an exact quote from David. 
We go back to the YouTubers now. We get to know more about them. We're introduced to the psychic in about 10 seconds, and we don't really get her name, and it's never flashed on screen. So my apologies for not <laughs> She's sitting her, in the backseat of somebody's car. And yeah, not in full really, light. It's really, yeah, it's really very yeah. professionally done. So David's, in David's old account, which we now see more of, he claims that they saw a five-pointed star painted on the floor of the mausoleum and that it was inverted, which is a sign that if the apex is pointed down, it's being used in black magic. Or okay. they were standing on the wrong side of the star because since it was painted on the floor, there is no <laughs> up or down. <laughs> this is why you make the big bucks, Eric Shawquin. Um Friday, February 29th, 1970. A new paranormal investigator named Sean Manchester claims he too has seen evidence of satanic strangeness inside the cemetery. But he concludes with no apparent evidence that we are made aware None. of th that it is a vampire. And he claims passersby and residents he has interviewed have seen the specter and that it is a king vampire of the undead. Which, king like, like that's a thing. He's apparently just recently seen uh, The House of Dark Shadows, which was in yeah. theaters at that time. And so he thought right. he saw Jonathan Fred biting some lady on the neck. He claims that eyewitnesses in the community claim to have been visited in their beds at night by this vampire. And that it so has they're no the longer face, in the cemetery. It has a, the face of a wild animal with glaring eyes and sharp teeth, and that one witness awoke with two bite marks on her neck. We never see these bite marks. We never see this witness. We don't see a picture of her. We're not given her name. There's no um, proof. And so Manchester does what you always do when you're trying to root out a king vampire. He goes on television. Right. And this is when the special, I had never seen this before. Had you seen this before? He announces that he's going to go into the cemetery on a certain night to hunt this vampire, and it causes a complete pandemonium outside the cemetery. A mob con convenes, and they're showing what I thought was actually news footage from the time period, 1970, of, of police cars and crowd control. And there was this little caption along the bottom that said, Illustr illustrative, 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 illustrative yes. footage. Illustrative. Illustrative footage, which means this isn't actually real footage of this event. We're just sort of dropping it in here to make it look like maybe more people showed up than actually did. Or they actually did, and it was just the prehistoric times, and they couldn't Nobody film things it. at night because cameras didn't work that way then. Um, yeah. it, this That actually reminded me of, um, put me in mind of uh, QAnon. Yeah. How so? Some lunatic goes on some, you know, big mass communication thing and asserts that there's a vampire in the cemetery and let's go kill it. And what do you know? A bunch of people turn up to uh, kill the yeah. vampire as opposed to attack the U.S. Capitol. Like, if you get a lunatic right. on television or social media and let them say a bunch of ridiculous stuff, you can wind up mm -hmm. with all kinds of outrageous results, like a bunch of vampire hunters at a cemetery where, right. you know, absolutely the absence of things are happening. Pizzagate, another good example. If you tell people a pedophile ring is being run out of a pizza shop, some lunatic is going to go there with a fucking gun. I've always gun. wondered, was that part of the QAnon thing? Because it was still oh, the pedophile oh, yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, that was early QAnon. That was early yeah. QAnon. Pedophile Satanists are running a ring. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the story of the Highgate vampire is born because Sean Manchester goes on television. David Ferrant says, 
This is a ridiculous story. It is not a vampire. <laughs> I have seen this th- thing. That is really, you know, the pot called in to say that yeah. the kettle was black. Um, And this is the point at which, as you said earlier, they should have gone with covering the feud between these two highly eccentric men. That would have been way more interesting. But instead, we go back to the YouTubers who claim that there were spiritual sightings of the entity at the Gatehouse pub nearby, and they do their Ghostbuster crap in the basement there, which is incredibly boring and stupid and goes nowhere and consists mostly of the psychic claiming that she's having sensations, which suggests things While we they can't look see at a or shelf determine. filled with beer. Yeah. So in 1970, David Ferrant went back to Highgate Cemetery with the intention of banishing the entity, right? Now he's got to show up Sean, who did the vampire hunt that caused all right. that chaos. Um, and this is when the people who were making this special winked, winked, winked at the people like us. Yes. He was experimenting in order to prepare himself for this banishment. He was experimenting with forbidden rituals that involve sex. And they, in every photo it's, they show of him, it's David and some very attractive nubile young woman in almost no clothing with her private parts bleached out. And, uh, you know, that's got tape some over of, her eyes and that yeah, sort of exactly. thing. Yes. Um, these rituals are forbidden, though, David tells us in his old interview, because if you do them wrong, you might get possessed. And he doesn't regret anything he ever did because no one was ever harmed, but he did get a bad reputation. And I think the possession risk was something he said to other men who were maybe going to try to involve themselves in these rituals and maybe involve the women in their rituals before he could involve them in their ritual. Just a wild guess. Yes. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon, come get this seagull. I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice, now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. 
why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? David Ferrant is now trying to make his stand at Highgate Cemetery against the entity he claims is in there, which he insists is not a vampire. It's Using not a vampire. naked women, he's going to get Using rid of this, this terrible entity. So he has found a way to get women's clothes off. Um, and this exactly. could explain why his wife and children left. I think they were long gone by this point, but Vanessa, our library expert, says at this point that David was in the papers all the time, but unfortunately it was for all the wrong reasons. And they show a headline with his photograph that says, and I'm quoting now, ritual sex act and cat sacrifice. So I would say, yeah, that was all the wrong reasons if he was yeah. trying to become a credible And he got, kept getting arrested researcher. going to the, the cemetery yeah. and was eventually banned, wasn't he? He dragged a body out of the cemetery and left it in the street, or so they thought. He was the most Somebody likely did. suspect. So he was arrested and given a four-and-a-half-year sentence, but he says he was made a scapegoat for his beliefs. So, seizing on an opportunity, Sean Manchester, while Farian is in prison— the son of a bitch, Sean— —claims to find the vampire's body, put a stake through his heart, and burn it— with petrol. And in Manchester later publishes an opus called The Highgate Vampire in the late 18 or excuse me 1980s. <laughs> and then Ferran counters with his own book Beyond the Highgate Vampire and their feud becomes legendary. Ryan Murphy's going to do a season about it on Feud, I'm that sure. That I would watch. <laughs> I don't know that for sure, but I think that would be an amazing idea. That would be um, fantastic. In the year 2000-ish, the story takes on a new level of insanity thanks to the internet, which is code for people started who could Google stuff realized how much bullshit was involved in the story and had been right, right along. And decided to have some for themselves. And we travel all the way to beautiful Vancouver, Canada, where Aaron Chapman, internet My sleuth, favorite person in the whole show... A breath of fresh air and the curse of the Highgate vampire. She is a paranormal researcher who apparently, like us, is, is open to a lot of these ideas. But she smells bullshit just right. like we're smelling she right now. She does not suffer fools gladly. She discovers that everything Sean Manchester said about the cemetery in his book was wrong. The geography didn't match at all. And she says so online, and Sean Manchester comes for her. He attacks everyone to, uh, who, who disagrees with him. Yeah, apparently this is his M.O. If you disagree with him, he comes for you. He even went through her Facebook friends list and began private messaging her friends about what a terrible person she was and how she was a liar. And he began to post pictures and memes mocking her weight because th this is who we want protecting us from vampires. Right. A childish, moronic internet troll. A bully. Uh, and a bully. Uh, Patsy Langley... While she definitely seemed less um, 
sober and restrained than Erin Chapman did. Yeah, she was a little... <laughs> she was a couple of uh, sandwiches short of a picnic. She also went after Manchester, and he also went after her, and she responded by going to the cemetery and doing her own research, and she does something for the benefit of the cameras, which is they suddenly start talking in this special about ley lines. I don't know what ley lines are. Do you know what ley lines are? You know, I remember them from the Da Vinci Code. Oh, God. Is that what they're from? Jesus. Yeah, there's it's it's the... Um, it, it has to do with energy convergences, like... Okay, yeah. I, but it's, yeah, it's entirely made-up shit, so it's sort of like saying, I'm going to the um, the longitude line. Like, there is no line mm-hmm. there. It's just a way in which we establish a point on the surface of the planet without there being any really accurate way to do so. Right, and so she's got her divining rods, right? I guess that's what they're called. They're oh, my God, rods. those sticks. She is... Two sticks in her hand. Yeah, she has two sticks, and she allows the energy, quote-unquote, to point the sticks where she's supposed to go so she can follow the ley lines. And if she follows the ley lines, she's going to find some source of spiritual energy in the cemetery. And the two sticks point in two different directions, which she then says is clearly showing which direction to go in. And I was like, okay, I don't know why it would be one or the other, but sure. And what results is a long-filmed, lumbering walk, which makes it look like she is looking for her car keys. That's really what happens next. She walks slowly all the way through town as if she's stuttering along following this energy, but really she's looking sort of down. So if you see her from a distance, you're like, oh, that woman must have dropped her keys. But she's really looking at the two sticks that she's holding in her hands. Yeah. And so I don't even remember if she... Oh, she ends up in the woods. That was the other thing. It's like, well, wait, what happened to the fucking cemetery? So she ends up in the woods. But there had been demonic activity, satanic activity in the woods. So that made perfect sense to somebody um, along the way. A group of witches, apparently, that they hired to hang out in the woods and be interviewed, making it look like she discovered these witches when really she didn't. The witches were showed up later for the benefit of the cameras and were introduced to Carrie Kirkpatrick, who is apparently a and local witch. And witches don't worship the devil. Yeah, witches don't worship the devil. But they get Carrie on camera to say she believes in ley lines, which, again, is like, could we have a more explanation of what ley lines are? But I felt like Carrie Kirkpatrick and Aaron had the experience of sitting down and watching this special later and being like, oh, motherfuck, I had no idea what I was being involved in when I agreed to be on camera for this. Um, I believe that Sean Manchester is all the warning anybody needs (laughs) when they consider involving themselves with the Highgate vampire. I think that um, at the risk of having Sean say mean things about me on Twitter, I think yeah, that come and um, get us, Sean. the only thing that uh, would be an interesting exploration of this topic would be somebody just absolutely ta- taking him to task, and David, for that matter, yeah. um, for all of this and their ludicrous um, rivalry over this completely non-event. I mean, for real. So now the YouTubers go to hang out with the witches in the woods by Highgate Cemetery. They do their barking at the dark routine, as I've come to call it. <laughs> oh, did you see that? Oh, it's a ghost. And I think whenever they're running out of footage, the psychic says, you know, it's just getting really, I can feel a lot of really bad energy. I just Yeah, we need, we need to, to get out of here. 
We need to get out of here. That's the devices for these shows. It's how they never actually see anything. It's how they never find Bigfoot. It's how they never find the... Mo- you know, it's just like... I just, And the uh, little electronic things that they had that they could get to make it sound like it was saying words or right. the theremin that um, the closer yeah. you got to it, the louder the noise it made. Like, it was <laughs> wasn't like, really a theremin, a theremin. Well, that's how theremins the, work. The Star Trek sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. And so the wrap up to this complete disaster is that David lived to be 73 years old, but he didn't look a day over 601. Really, truly. That man (laughs) looked rough. He looked rough. Yeah. My favorite part of the David segment was because he was not around and they wanted to um, give his uh, old interviews atmosphere. They would like show them on a television that they put um, in the midst of a burning swamp or uh, (laughs) an abandoned building or an old crypt filled with bones and skulls. But it was really just a television sitting there, but it was sitting in really dodgy circumstances. It was a dodgy atmospheric television. That's correct. Um, also, they let us know that Sean Manchester refused to be interviewed, probably after he insulted the body size of everyone involved with the special. So, yes, he yeah. then released mean pictures of people and said, this is what he looks like. <laughs> he, he doesn't believe in the Highgate vampire. Body shaming bully. That's, that's the yeah. guy who we want to go to as a uh, paranormal uh, authority. authority. So the spe- the special that you wanted, which I would have loved as well, would have been the knowing um, takedown of these two manipulative, dishonest, opportunistic um, showboats yes. uh, who are trying to outperform each other over this ridiculous story that has no proof. Well, I just think the idea of coming upon some opportunistic showboat and stealing his opportunism and appropriating right. it for yourself is the ultimate in absurdity. I just think it's mm-hmm. so ridiculous. Just pick a different cemetery. I yeah. lived, when I lived in London, I lived near the the cemetery on Old Brompton Road. That That's the one where they film everything. I assume it's one of the... Sacred Seven or whatever it was, he was what Goff was talking about. The Magnificent about. Seven. Yeah, yeah, I think we featured that in Ramsey's the Dam, the Reign of Osiris. That was we have a scene in the Brompton, Brompton Road Cemetery. Cemetery. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful and uh, it is regularly um, uh, uh, used in movies and and television. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not an old beat up wreck like the Highgate Cemetery, which looked like a Hampton Hampstead Heath. More than it looked like a cemetery to me. Okay, let's, but let's talk about what did we believe anything in this? Did we believe, like, for instance, they interview a tour guide who worked in the cemetery forever who says she did have an experience that the temperature around her dropped. She felt a change in pressure, and she just got the hell out of there. She she took off running. Nothing. I, I believed. You nothing. believed nothing. There was okay. nothing. Like I don't know that there's not psychic phenomenon or of what some sort of phenomenon um, in and around. Uh, Highgate Cemetery, but right. none of there was no evidence, credible evidence presented of anything in this, except no. that there was, you know, these ridiculous YouTubers and a feud between these preposterous old men who should know better, should apologize to the rest of us. Yeah. And everybody buried of 
in Highgate Cemetery and their families personally. Okay, but let me give you a hypothetical, <laughs> and this is gonna this is gonna backfire. I know I this can't is gonna wait. backfire. You're what walking. Is? You're walking along the sidewalk by Highgate Cemetery, and you see something matching the description. Let's say you've never heard of David Ferrant. There's no Sean Manchester. Whatever. Uh-huh. You you see something matching the description of what David says. Tall, seven the or seven eight feet foot tall. tall. Guy in a hood. What do you assume it is, and what? Do you, how do you respond? Well, I think the first thing I would do was stop. Like, so if I, I see that, and I stop, and I and I look through the gates, and it continues to be there. Mm-hmm. It's not just something I saw out of the corner of my eye as I was walking past the gates. Right. Then I assume there is a really tall guy in a in a hooded cloak in the cemetery. Yeah. Right? Which isn't actually what that might seem unusual, but he might be there filming something or um, mm-hmm. advertising or just cold and really tall. Right. Um, <laughs> so that, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. If I'm walking right. by and I see somebody standing there and they disappear before my eyes, then it's mm-hmm. like, wow, that was really kind of amazing, and mm-hmm. I would be drawn to the cemetery, drawn into the cemetery to try and see how that how it was that I came to see that. That would, would be you, my first reaction. Right? Would you write a letter to the local paper saying everything that, that you seems had seen? really unlikely? I would probably yeah. tell a group of people at a dinner party about this weird experience I had. At um, mm-hmm. when I was walking past Highgate Cemetery, I probably wouldn't write a letter to the local paper. That seems like maybe the last thing I would do. The the, the okay. There's two things I want to say because you're so smart. Um, but the first thing is that I feel like you have touched on with this response something that's like it's an intersection of our responses to true crime specials, which we talk about all the time here. And why these paranormal specials don't work for me is that we, we've seen again and again is how unreliable eyewitness testimony is in criminal investigations. People misremember things unintentionally. They fill in details after the fact, right, in ways that can really torpedo a court case. They, you know, no, no prosecuting attorney ever wants to rely on eyewitness evidence as their primary form of evidence in a case because it's so right. it's so fragile, okay? And that's often all we have with these paranormal specials. I saw something. Like, I think, yes, David Ferrant may have seen something that was very weird, that defied yeah. easy explanation. But I think the height of the person, he may have exaggerated in terms of perspective, like seven, eight feet tall. Come on, nobody, no living human is seven, eight feet tall. So, uh, you know... But And so he goes to this place of it wasn't human or perspective was weird. The shadows were throwing off his vision, you know? Right. Okay. Well, what, based on what did you make that call? But the other thing I'm reminded of, and we haven't talked about this on the podcast, but we both saw this around the same time. And it was, in fact, the most compelling paranormal coverage I've ever seen, which was it was an episode of the first season of Unsolved Mysteries about a group of people in a small town, I believe it was upstate New York, yes, who all had encounters and believed they were abducted and had no connection to each other. And hadn't even and gave talked the same to each story. other about this, the, what they had seen. 
since yeah. the moment that it happened until they were interviewed 25 years later or whatever for um, yeah. Unsolved Mysteries. That was amazing. Be- because here's what you do if you're David Ferrant and you want to be credible. You don't tell anybody about this story, but you go around and you begin interviewing people about the cemetery and you don't prompt them and you don't guide them and you see if anyone else has had the same experience. Because by the time you write to the paper about it or the time you go on television about it, you you have spoiled the chain of evidence, if you will. Like you've, you've put out a story there that people can replicate. You've queered the jury, you know? It's, it's, and, and so, but the and real... And not in a good way. And not in a Falcon video way. No, not at right. all. And so I think if you're really... And there are people who do that. I think there are a lot of UFO investigators who do it, you know, because these stories can be so similar. But anyway, I, I don't want to do David France work for him. He's long gone. And I think primarily he was interested in banging women who were not his wife. And this his wife uh, got the idea and got the hell out of there. Right. Yeah. And black magic was his, uh, his uh, way in. But this is like, does anybody talk about black magic anymore? You know, like this was a thing in like, I guess the 70s and the 80s. I remember the satanic panic, which we've talked about often on this show. We covered one true crime case, horrible case. We were talking about it the other night that was committed by Satanists. You know, I would ask a witch. Like, I I don't think, like, it it always brings me back to um, the question of like, witches don't worship Satan. So I don't understand what this is about. What are you talking about? As we were talking about it the other day, it seems like it may be more performative than yeah. something that anybody actually believes. They're uh, choosing some sort of anarchistic kind of approach to uh, organized religion, which I, that I could totally understand. But but that, that's the thing. But yeah, the worshiping of evil. That I don't was think the thing you real, said. I don't yeah. think it's a thing. The thing that you were saying is that you didn't believe anybody worshiped evil for evil's sake. And I think the thing that it reminded me of is that the assessment of whether or not something is black magic is often in the eye of the beholder. Like, I think black magic has an actual definition, which is you are invoking magic to do harm, okay? But there are a lot of religious people who would call anything that's not Christian black magic or satanic, right? And members of the actual Church of Satan say, most people don't know what we believe. We believe Satan is a misunderstood figure. We have a we think the dark side isn't inherently evil. You know, like they have a more, the church of Satan actually, I think either tried to file a lawsuit or issued a complaint about their depiction in the chilling adventures of Sabrina. I think it was because they said, that's not actually what we believe. They got the statue wrong. Right. And I always think, and we talk about this particularly in terms of the satanic panic, because I remember how uh, the amount of injustices it spawned in the eighties. Um, and we talked about one called South yes. of Salem, which was one of our first true crime TV clubs, um, that it is reflective of the anxiety of the era, you know, that it becomes this, and that even these occultists who seem like they're open-minded and they're trying to let in all these unexplained things are often channeling this anxiety of the era. And so if you think Satanists are in the cemetery, it's probably just some goth kids who believe things you don't believe, you know, and don't, and don't go to your church. Right, like those young men who were imprisoned for years for yeah committing a crime that they clearly did not commit yeah and i think that's the that's the thing that really gets my blood up and i think it gets your blood up which comes up a lot is convicting people based on um your gut or because they dress differently than you or clearly they're weird i think yeah, that's what ignorant different. communities do 
And I think, it, it, and it, yeah, it, you got to have evidence. And anyway, you got to have evidence. Yeah. That could be our tagline. You, you have can't evidence. convict people just for being weird. Yes, that's definitely yeah. what the, that's our brand. We definitely want you to yeah. have some evidence. And if you don't, you're in for a bit of a ribbing on yes. Christopher and Eric Presents or TDPS and Presents I think in, Christopher and Eric. And no small part because we're weird. So we stick up for the weird. We don't want the yeah. weird going to prison. And for I also being weird. try and be sensitive to it when I'm talking about other people. Like, because yeah. so much of my life, I was the person that I was saying things that other people didn't want to hear. I try not to be the person who doesn't want to hear what somebody else is saying because mm-hmm. even if I don't like it or agree with it, it's like that seems fair because I've had the, sh- I've been where the shoe was on the other foot and. Mm-hmm. I didn't care for it. Yeah, and I, I think that's um, something that makes you a good person, a man of integrity. I guess so, or I'm just trying to be fair. Just take the win. If I give you a compliment, it's so rare, you should just take the win, okay? <laughs> don't, don't be like, oh, I guess so. No, you can say I'm a man of integrity and, you know, whatever. No, I think that um, uh, there was a time in history where People believe that if you were gay, you were also by that by your very nature capable of a host of horrible crimes. Because if you right. could do this one thing they didn't like, you could do this these other things they didn't like. And it's the problem is that you don't like too much stuff. You don't like stuff that's not inherently destructive or criminal and you need to mind your own business. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. It was just the, it was another witch. It was another witch yeah. burning. Like because you did because you don't believe what I believe, then you're wrong and I have to kill you. It goes back to exactly. what we talked about in the first fifteen minutes. Um and I will say, I think your idea, you didn't phrase it as an idea, but I think Ask a Witch would be a fantastic podcast. Maybe we should do it here on TDPS and get a real I witch in to answer questions. Great. Ask a witch. I like that. I like that a lot. But it's Um, true. We're back with another True Crime TV Club on our next episode. This is actually something that we had teased we were going to do previously, but um, recent losses uh, derailed us and changed our schedule. But as we've gotten back into the flow of things here at TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric, we're going to be doing a true crime special edition. And that's when we serve up a multi-episode true crime series in one episode of our podcast And next week, we will be delivering Murder on Middle Beach, which is currently four episodes streaming on HBO Max. Um, I don't know if they're ever going to add any more episodes, but it's currently four, and that's the complete series or the complete first season. And So far, it's four, and uh, that's all we're going to be covering next time. So if you want (laughs) more than four, you're just going to have to go somewhere else because we're not covering them. A special edition can only be so special. Right? All right? It's all the special we can stand, although this one was pretty special. Until next time and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Gwen. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Thanks. You're special. This is TDPS.